0: As you're turning in your Bibles to 1 Corinthians uh, chapter 1, I'm going to just read one verse. Uh, But as you're turning there, I I want to um, make some remarks concerning uh, the series that we're going to begin uh, next week, the first Wednesday of February. I'm very excited uh, about the series. I want to talk to you about God's financial plans for your life. It's vitally important for us to have kingdom understanding uh, of what his financial plan looks like for us. The word of the Lord says that heaven and earth will pass away, but his words will never pass away. And That's why we build our financial plan in life off of his word and not off of some idea. Uh, I think there are some dangerous things that go around about uh, financial prosperity that if you'll give just enough to the Lord, like there's this certain measure, that if you give a certain measure, then all of a sudden you're blessed. And I think God has a better plan for us than just shooting in the dark. It's kind of like the old Peanuts uh, gallery cartoon where uh, Charlie Brown was shooting his bow and arrow, and he would shoot at a fence. And then after he would shoot, he would run up to the fence and he would draw a circle and a bullseye around his arrow. <laughs> and that's the way some people live their lives. They just shoot. And so people, people look at us and they wonder why in the world we give to the church. They want to know why we tithe. They want to know why, why would you give 10%. And others uh, never do get it. Others will live their whole life for the Lord and say, I can't afford to pay my tithes. Well, if you read the scripture together, and we're going to do that for uh, a few weeks in February, you find out you can't afford not to tithe. You can't. Because there is a blessing in biblical finance. Now, I'm not going to tell you how to get rich, I'm not going to tell you how to invest. Uh, I'm not going to tell you what stocks I'm playing with in the stock market. You know, we're not going into all that. We're going to talk about God's financial plan. What does it look like this year? We are going beyond. And so I believe now you don't have to believe this. And if you're not convinced after several weeks of teaching, that's still okay. But I believe that you can go beyond a poverty mindset through biblical understanding of finance. I believe that. I've seen it break the back of poverty. I've seen it break the back of people who live in the same vicious cycle over and over and over and over. The Bible doesn't just give us how to be successful financially. If you want that, you can, uh, you can tune in to Dave Ramsey or go to Financial Peace University. There's success in that. I'm not going to tell you just how to pay off bills. I want to tell you what the Bible says about our finances. Amen? Amen? Praise God. I just wonder tonight if there's anybody in here that after... Uh, The last series session that we did on the blessed life uh, Or even before that if you began to see giving in a different light And giving to the kingdom of God has forever changed in your life If you would just raise your hand Amen, look at that There is a difference in what happens in your life When you give to the Lord And so we're going to spend a few days talking about that Amen I want us to go to 1 Corinthians chapter 1 I'm going to read one verse for you there 1 Corinthians chapter 1 and uh, verse number 10. And I as well would like to just kind of segue off of Bishop's statements. Thank you for praying for our family. And uh, as a church family, uh, we certainly tonight give our allegiance to stand with uh, Landon and his family. The loss of his mother and my aunt. The Lord is an ever-present help. In the time of trouble. Amen. He's an ever-present help. Praise God. Now, we're going to go somewhere tonight. Um, I'm going to get there as quickly as I can. And hopefully uh, make some sense to somebody. So if you will just stay with me. Uh, We're just going to read through this verse together. 1 Corinthians chapter 1 verse 10. I beseech you, brethren, by the name of our Lord Jesus Christ. That ye all speak the same thing. Oh, God help us. And that there be no divisions among you. But that ye be perfectly joined together. Not only in the same mind. But in the same judgment. I beseech you brethren by Jesus Christ. That you speak the same thing. And that there be no divisions among you, but that you be perfectly joined together in the same mind and in the same judgment. And let the church say, Amen. 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 God bless you. You may be seated. Um, I want to say to you tonight that we must uh, constantly... Keep it before our minds that it is impossible. And you listen to pastor deeply, like get this down in your soul. It is impossible to call yourself a Christian and truly be a Christian if you don't know him. If you don't know who he is. Then calling yourself a Christian doesn't make you a Christian any more than going to McDonald's makes you a hamburger. Amen. In the Word of God, it's always interesting that we are so quick when we start sharing the gospel, we don't really know how to get past a couple of staple verses that are powerful they are part of who we are but we are not just a new testament church we are a 66 book church from cover to cover and there is a reason why it's because the part that we like to teach from was taught by teaching the old testament for according to The book of Acts, the 28th chapter and the 23rd verse. It said, And when they had appointed him a day, there came many to him in his lodging, to whom he expounded and testified the kingdom of God. Somebody say the kingdom of God. Persuading them concerning who? Jesus. Both out of the law of Moses and out of the prophets from morning till evening. I want you to understand that knowledge of the scripture Is the most powerful tool that you'll have in your life. For even Jesus Christ himself when tempted in the wilderness. He told the devil. He did not command the devil to leave. He told the devil it is written. The word of God from cover to cover. Is what will keep you and sustain you. I want to talk to you tonight about kingdom immersion. Kingdom immersion. Uh, 1 Corinthians 1 and 10, and I'm probably going to be a little too transparent here at the beginning uh, of this lesson tonight. But 1 Corinthians 1 and 10 is one of the most frustrating verses for me as a preacher and as a pastor. And I'll tell you why. Uh, I have looked for many, many years for the table. That we can sit down at as a movement and discuss some things that we need to get together and speak the same language on. Now I'm not here to vent. I'm not here to air dirty laundry. I'm here to share what I believe is my heart and the heart of God for us tonight. I was in a conversation some time ago with a gentleman who had been involved at a church. and Give me some runway here to take off tonight. I want to talk to you from my heart. But there had been quite a bit of compromise in the church that he was a part of. And the excuses that were made were pitiful. I mean, absolutely pitiful for why they would stop preaching certain things or stop saying certain things. And there is a kingdom language that we must speak. There is a kingdom language that derives itself from the scripture that we cannot stop speaking regardless. Everybody say regardless. Regardless of what culture pushes against. Regardless of how loud the voices are in culture. There are standards of separation and holiness for us in this hour. That keep us separate from this present world that maybe would not have been necessary in Jesus' day. And I'll give you a prime example. How well do you think it would have worked for Jesus to stand up in a synagogue and preach against HBO? Why? Why? they didn't have it and there are things that are relevant to our culture that we have to stand different to there were things that perhaps in jesus time were acceptable because of the culture of the day it wasn't a heaven or hell issue it was a separation issue that today we do or don't do in a conservative movement because not If we do it, we're going to go to hell if we do it. But because it keeps us distinct and separate from the rest of the world. Oh my. my. Not every standard of holiness and separation in your life has to be a heaven or hell, black and white issue. Some things that I do and don't do, I don't have verbatim, chapter, line, and verse for them. But I do have conviction. And there is a reason why God convicts me of those things. He convicts me of those things to keep me separated from the world. Because there are some pathways that I start down that the the object of conversation at that moment may not be the sin that let's just say sends me to hell. But it is the beginning of a compromise in my life that leads me in the direction of what will send me to hell. And so it comes back to what I was trying to teach to you on Sunday morning and I believe it with all my heart. That's why you cannot live for God based upon strictly what's in it for you what you have to lay down and what you have to gain if you lay it down that's why he said if you love me you keep my commandments it what he was not speaking of the commandments at that moment he was speaking of loving him and when you fall in love with jesus anything that he convicts you of there is a reason why There are things that frustrate us in Pentecost when we see people throw them by the wayside, stop preaching them, stop teaching them, start allowing them on the platform and allowing them in leadership. I pray to God that you never stop being stirred and bothered by the things of this world being allowed in the church. In that conversation with the gentleman that I was talking about, we began to... Expound some things together in conversation as to how And I know people don't like this language Especially uh, coming from a charismatic type spirit I hate to use that word because the the charismatic movement really isn't what it used to be Uh, But coming from that type of background But there is a thing called a slippery slope That once you begin to acquiesce to ideas that are outside of the fundamentals that have kept us separated from the world, all of a sudden you start moving, listen, in a direction that that first step may not be extremely dangerous. But it is a fence that's in your life that keeps you from walking over a cliff. I wrote an article several years ago in a magazine. I think I've talked about it here even in this church, I wrote for the Apostolic Witness an article uh, about the hospital in the valley. It was, a, it was an old story that I had came across years ago. An old legend story that said there was this beautiful little town that sat down in the valley. And there was great mountaintops. I'll give you the short version of this story. But it said that people from all over the world would come to hike those beautiful mountains that surrounded that city. And there uh, were very sharp edges, and there were, uh, there were signs up there, you know, be, be aware that if you, if you get too close to the edge, you could fall, and so people continued to fall off the mountain, and so the elders of the city, or the city council, whatever you want to call it, got together, and they said, here's the idea we have, let's build a hospital so that we can start healing all these people that are falling off the mountain, and so they began the process, it sounds just like government. And they, they start building the hospital said, let's get the hospital. So they're treating all these wounded people, all these wounded people. And so this wise sage came into the town and uh, they, they began to show him. They said, oh, look at what we've done. Look at what we've done. We're healing all these people that have fallen. Well, what happened? Well, they come from all over the world to hike. But when they come here to see the beautiful sights, they, they slip and they fall off the mountain. So we bring them to the hospital to heal them. And he said, let me show you how to fix this. And he took them up to the heights and he put a boundary there. And do you know that after he put the boundary there, the hospital closed? Boundaries in my life don't have to be about heaven or hell. Boundaries in my life are because I am his and I am not my own. And I've been bought with a price. And whenever the Lord wants to convict me to be separate from the world, he has that right because I belong to him. If you believe that, say amen. Amen. So, there is, there is somehow going to be in the end time a coming together. And I've seen God do this uh, to an extent already. I'm watching him put some things together uh, as we close out this kingdom age of connecting people that are hungry for the same things. Now, I, I don't have time to run after this and chase this tonight, but... Um, I want to say this as kindly as I can. There are reasons why your pastor has chosen to not just fellowship with everybody. There are reasons why I don't just let any old body preach in this pulpit. There are reasons why we guard this pulpit very, very carefully. It's because I don't just want some Billy Bob up here. Saying God gave me this new revelation and bringing confusion. Listen to what Pastor's telling you tonight. We must figure out a way in the end time to network with people not that want to be associated with apostolics. But people that want to be apostolic. I don't just want this church to be associated with people that kind of like parts of what we do but they they really just kind of like uh, the form of godliness, but they're not real big on the power thereof. Why, pastor? Well, because the apostle said, "From such, turn away." He said, "If they have a form of godliness, but they deny the power, turn away from them." He said, "Don't don't entangle yourself with that. Listen to what I'm trying to help you with tonight." There has never been a conviction that I've had in my life that at some point it was not tested and questioned. I'm just being honest. From the time I was a boy going to parks and playing ball and when all the guys wanted to play shirts and skins and they'd put me on the skins team and I'd say, sorry guys, I'm keeping my shirt on. Why? Why? My answer was never because that's what my church teaches. My answer was because it's a conviction that I have in my life. I belong to the Lord. I'm different. And you understand when I say this to you, I didn't have to open up the Bible and quote Acts 2.38 to them for them to know I was different. There's something to be said about the teaching of Jesus that you let your light so shine before men that they would see your good Come on, somebody shout it. You're good. And it would glorify your Father which is in heaven. We are so scared of works theology that we don't ever even look at what Jesus said. Jesus said that by works men would know you were his disciple. What do you mean? He said by this shall all men know you're my disciples that you have. Well, that's stupid. I, I shouldn't have to love people to be a disciple. That's works. I think you need to understand you're not saved by works. But by works, men are going to know that you're his disciple. And if we look like everybody, do what everybody does, say what everybody says, live how everybody lives, how are they going to know? Well, I've got a good heart. Folks, listen, I want to tell you, I know wonderful, wonderful people that have never been baptized in Jesus' name, filled with the Holy Ghost, and they have a great heart. There are, I don't care what people tell you, there are legitimately great people in this world. I think that Nicodemus was a pretty good guy. I do. If you study historical references of who Nicodemus was, he was perhaps the most respected teacher of the law in the days of Jesus. He was one of the most respected men in all of biblical history. So wise in the word of God. And he comes to Jesus in the night and he says, tell me about what's going on here, Lord. I'm I'm hearing all kinds of stuff here, but it's, it's a little contrary to what I'm used to feeling. And Jesus says to him in John 3, Nicodemus, you must be born again. And he says, well, how can I be born again? Can I enter into my mother's womb a second time? And this is where I want to begin teaching tonight. There has got to be a table for us somehow that we can come together as believers and not just be of the same mind, but also, this is powerful, of the same judgment. Pastor, what sets... What 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 sets the mark then in the church? This is going to be very sound very self-serving, but you got to know my heart tonight. That's why God gave you a pastor. All right. All right. Come on. That's true. And I'm going to tell you this tonight, and I mean this sincerely. I've said this for over 20 years in this church. If you cannot be saved in this church, then you need to go somewhere where you can be saved. If you can't trust the heart of the pastor that God you nobody placed me in this church but God. And if you can't trust the heart of your pastor, you are in the wrong assembly. There is a reason why we are still what a lot of folks would consider to be old-fashioned it's not just because i'm old-fashioned it's because i know what separation from the world produces in a church and there is no substitute for it period none i i I understand we're streaming online tonight and i don't want to hurt anybody's feelings and i certainly you know at some point you're gonna have conflict and Conflict is not my motive. But there is, there is a trend. I was, I was speaking recently with some men about uh, where we are, and, and this is not your fault, so I'm just talking to you here. I'll get to my lesson. But there seems to be a movement away from uh, old-fashioned preaching. I I, I was talking with, uh, I I won't tell you who it was, but uh, my wife and I were having lunch in the airport the other day with a a very influential man among young people in Pentecost. I'll just say that. And I was openly sharing my heart with him and I said, bro, I I have some issues with our movement right now because of who the guys that are 40 and under are modeling their ministries after. I know what I risk right here, I sound kind of old-fashioned, but listen, I came up under preaching that was preaching. I'm talking about hell- stomping, devil chasing, soul-saving, conviction, preaching. Now, I've heard men that preach that don't't spit to the fifth row, and they're very effective. So my point is not screaming. I'm talking about preaching. I'm talking about there's substance to what you're saying. That in every sermon that you preach, some way, somehow, it is laced with doctrine. It's not just feel good, brown sugar, dump it in your mouth, leave tasting sweeter than it was. Every now and then, you got to have a little doctrine in there that's going to line you up from where you've been to where you need to be so you can get where you're going. And we got to find, we got to find that, listen, I, I, I'm just going to say this tonight, in this church, we are not going to raise up and put out any limp-wristed, jelly-backed young preachers. If you're going to be a preacher in this church, a young man that wants to pursue God, you're going to have to be able to teach me Jesus from the law and the prophets. Everybody talks about wanting to be apostolic. The apostolic, the first apostles, were able to explain salvation and Jesus from the Old Testament. While they wrote the New Testament. I was standing the other day with uh, uh, someone who is of a different persuasion in their faith. They are still not forever. Forever. But they are still right now adhering to a triune idea. And as we began to go through the scripture, the anticipation was, was that I would spend the whole evening in the New Testament. Until I began to quote the book of Isaiah. As we walked through the book of Isaiah, we went through 53 of course, we went through Isaiah 9 and 6. And Brother King, it was such a powerful moment. You've seen it time after time, that light bulbs start to come on. And I started breaking down Isaiah 9 and 6. Unto us a child is born. Unto us a son is given. and The government shall be upon his shoulders. I said, who's this talking about? Jesus. Oh, the son. Yes. The government's on. Yes. And his name shall be called. Go ahead and put that up there for him, guys. Wonderful. Isn't that good? Jesus. Wonderful. Oh, yes. Counselor. Oh, yeah. And I watched right here when he goes. the mighty God the Everlasting Father the Prince of Peace and I got one of these hmm I can see where you're coming from there if if, if that's not who he was talking about let me ask you Isaiah 53 who is it that was wounded for our transgression Who is it that was bruised for our iniquity? Who is it that the chastisement of our peace is upon him? And with his stripes, we are. We're healed. Our apostolic churches have got to be filled with apostolic doctrine. You are not going to build a strong church by just talking about miracles all the time. The scripture said that the miracles and the signs were there to confirm the word. And when somebody gets a revelation of who Jesus is and that it's him that was wounded for their transgression and bruised for their iniquity, all of a sudden they realize that the mighty God robed himself in flesh and it's in his name that they are healed. He said, Nicodemus, it's the way it is. got to do it. It's the new language of the kingdom. You must be born again. I'm so thankful for my children. In the, uh, uh, the, the curriculum that we use in the schooling, there are some things because of the uh, organization that produces the curriculum. And we're working, we're working on this to produce some, some different things, uh, hopefully on our own over the next several years. But in the curriculum this week, my youngest daughter was uh, was doing a Bible lesson in her school about John chapter three, and it said, uh, "If I were to tell you the denomination, you would all know it's typical doctrine for their denomination." It said, "When Jesus told Nicodemus you had to be born again of water and spirit, it's very clear that being born of water is when your mother's water breaks and you're born naturally." And then when you're born of the Spirit, it is the Spirit of God. Thus, that means baptism is not essential. And my youngest daughter brought her computer to my wife's desk and said, Look at this. Our kids need to know there's more to baptism than getting wet. We, we, we've got to stay at an apostolic table that understands that baptism doth now save us. He that believeth and is baptized shall be saved, and he that believeth not shall be damned. I'm not going to sit down at a table with somebody and discuss doctrine that says that baptism is just an outward profession of an inward faith and you got to get baptized to join this church. I don't want to get baptized to join your church. I want to get baptized to join the body of Christ. We are betrothed to him and we're taking on his name. You can't be engaged if you're not going to take the name. Somebody shout hallelujah. hallelujah. And so, something has to happen. And in a local assembly, it is the shepherd, it's the voice of the shepherd that aligns themselves biblically and scripturally with understanding. Listen, I'm going to give you permission. Again, I've done this so many times in my ministry. I'm giving you permission. That if I ever start preaching anything that's goofy. Doctrine. Get up and leave. Yeah. Right. Right. Don't ever come back. And tell everybody. That man's a liar. Yeah. Right. I'm going to get back to that in just a minute. There is a kingdom language. That we've got to learn to speak. And I'm not just talking about. I'm not just talking about neat little colloquialisms and, and cute little phrases and uh, snatchy little things, you, you know. Ooh, I'm, I'm born again, you know. Like, what's that mean? How, how, how did that just, like, take over Christianity? Woo! I, when, I, when I got saved, from what? I was saved in 1947. From what? And to what? And what do you have to do to get saved? Well, the preacher told me I was saved. How did he tell you, you were saved? Because he said that uh, if I would just say this prayer, believe in my heart, confess with my mouth. Where'd that come from? Well, it, uh, uh, that the church. Oh, so we're speaking a church language and not a kingdom language. Woo. This is how we err in doctrines. This is how we get to doctrines of devils. This is how we get to false doctrine and winds start blowing and blowing us off target. It's when we we stop speaking. We're we're, we're more enamored by cool one-liners than we are rock-solid doctrine. Mm. It's a foreign concept to people outside the church. You know, you've heard Pastor preach and teach about our little pentecostal subculture it's funny i've been raising this all my life uh i'm a fourth generation preacher so if there's a one-liner out there i've heard it probably used it probably preached it but i'm gonna tell y'all something we don't live in a time where people are just stupid right they're not People, people are not, they're they're not stupid people. And when you start talking to people that are wrapped up, tied up, tangled up in a world of despair and and their parents were maybe agnostic or atheist and they don't know anything about God and you start talking about this weird language of this God-man image of God that showed himself in the flesh... And they're like, what? And you start, you, you start talking about like, Jesus died for you. He, who? Jesus? He died, he, like, why does someone need to die for me? And, and, and you start throwing these little things. His blood will wash you from your sins. Like, wh- I don't want no blood on me. They do that stuff in the occult. You guys, you guys put blood on people? You understand what I'm saying? We get these little... Uh, and, and here's a good question for you. What's sin anyway? Sin? Uh, oh, so, so, now, so now you're saying I need to be forgiven because I'm a sinner? So you think that I'm going to hell. And that's how the conversations go. So what you're saying then is if I don't go to your church, I'm going to hell. So now you're saying that this God-man, this God that shows up in the flesh, like, he sends people to hell that don't do what he says. So That's legalism. Boy, it's so quiet you could hear a rat licking ice in here right now. Why does it matter what I've done and who cares? I mean, who, like, really, who cares? Does God even exist? Is, is, is there even... Any such thing, and don't you have something more relevant for me than a man that lived two thousand years ago? I mean, if I'm just looking for a way to feel better, I can find that some other way than you just walking up and give me some cute little one-liner that says, "Woo, I've been born again, free from sin, hallelujah, I'm heaven bound." What? We sing that song when I was a kid, and I still like it. I'm one, God, abstock tongue, talking holy roller, born again, heaven bound believer in the liberated power of Jesus' name. I've been washed in the blood, sanctified by the Spirit. I believe in holiness, and I suggest you do the same. I was set free at a Pentecostal altar on my knees. Pardon me if I'm not ashamed to be a one God, apostolic, tongue-talking, holy, rolling, born again in heaven. But I believe in the liberated power of Jesus' name. You might as well, for some folks, get up and say supercalifragilisticexpialidocious. Amen. 1 Corinthians chapter 1 and verse 18 tells us very clearly that the preaching of the cross, this 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 is not my idea. Preaching of the cross is to them that perish. It's foolishness. But unto us which are saved. Folks, I hate to tell you this. But it is not Pentecostal pulpits across the country that have defined us. It's in the book right here. Unto us which are saved. That means that if somebody's outside of the us right here, then they're not. And that's the part that we don't like to talk about. But unto us which are saved, it is the power of God. 1 Corinthians 2 and 14. But the natural man receiveth not the things of the Spirit of God. For they are foolishness unto him. Somebody shout, foolishness. foolishness. Neither can he know them. Why? Because they are spiritually discerned. What are you saying, Pastor? I'm saying it's going to take more. Then quick wit, a neat little blip of scripture here and there to bring people to the full revelation of the word of God. You're not going to be able to just stand around and quote apostolic one-liners and make people get interested in what's going on in the kingdom of God. There's, there's something here that uh, Brother Orlando could probably tell you a little bit about. Is people like me. He's fluent in English and in Spanish. And guys like me speak Spanglish. Because, like, I'll walk up to Brother Boaz or, or, or whatever, and, like, I'll say the four words I know. And they just, they're just like, we love you, pastor. I'm like, yo quiero Taco Bell. They're so like, man, our pastor's fluent. Our pastor, man, he's, He's there. He's fluent. I'm impressive. I've got it. Listen, I speak Spanglish, okay? But there's way too many people in Pentecost speaking gospelish. Oh, it's Wednesday night. <laughs> Woo! That went over like a lead balloon. I said, there's too many people in our movement speaking gospel-ish. It's like Spanglish. They can speak enough to be dangerous. They've learned things to get them by in the airport, like where's the restroom? Can I have a drink? And we've learned enough gospel that we say, you got to be baptized to be saved. Well, I... Like how? Well, because then Peter said unto them, "Repent, be baptized, every one of you, in the name of Jesus Christ, for the remission of your sins, shall I receive the gift of the Holy Ghost." Well, I've been baptized. Well, well you weren't baptized right. It's gospelish. It's spanglish. It it, 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 we we speak just enough. It's not real fluent. We we just we just speak a little bit. We 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 talk just a little bit about it. Now, I hope you got your seatbelts on because I'm fixing to, I'm fixing to pastor love you right here, okay? Do you know why some of us have such a difficult time convincing people that the word of God is infallible and right? Because we're still trying to decide ourselves. Well, I don't want to judge people. You shouldn't ever have to. If you'll stand on the word, the word will judge. I said the word will judge. Let the word judge. Find one place in the scripture where they were baptized in the name of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit. One place. Let the word judge it. Oh, my, my, my. You got to let the word judge it. Everywhere in the book of Acts where the church started, everywhere that they were baptized, Acts 2, Acts 8, Acts 10, Acts 19, everywhere they were baptized, it was in the name of Jesus, in the name of the Lord Jesus, in the name of Jesus Christ for the remission of sin. Why are we baptized in Jesus' name? Because Acts 4 and 12 said, Neither is there salvation in any other, for there's none other name under heaven given among men, whereby we must... I don't want to speak gospelish. I want to be fluent in the language of the gospel and the kingdom. My, my, my. You know, pastor, I'm just not that person. I just, I, I've never had a gift to teach. Listen, if you've got the gift of the Holy Ghost, you've got the gift to teach. I'm not calling you to preach I'm not calling you to get behind a pulpit I'm calling you to sit down with somebody that you know and that trusts you And they can tell such a difference in your life And you're happy and you don't have asphalt rocks in your lip Because it drags the ground all the time Every time you talk to your worldly friends And they they call and say, hey, how you doing? Oh God, you don't even want to know They're like, man, whatever she's got, I need some of that Hey, bro, what's going on, man, dude? These people in my church about to drive me crazy. Oh, hey, sign me up. We're funny like that. I'm not I'm not I'm not a teacher, pastor. If you've been filled with the gift of the Holy Ghost and baptized in Jesus name, you'd not. Listen, it's not a right. It's an obligation We got to get past this kingdom culture that we're saved to sit on a pew and act sanctified. It is not just a gift for some and a talent for others. It is an obligation. This world needs Jesus. And we got to tell them who Jesus is. Hallelujah. Somebody shout immersion. 2 Timothy chapter 2 and verse 14. The old apostle's kind of cranking it down on his son in the gospel here. In 2 and 14 of 2 Timothy, he said, Of these things, put them in remembrance, charging them before the Lord. Oh, here it comes. That they strive not about words to no profit. But to the distracting, the subverting of the hearers. When they're striving over their ideas, they're distracting people. He said, Timothy, study. Oh. There's a novel idea, Bishop. Study. Did he say, Timothy, study to be a better preacher? He says study so you can maybe get called to do a conference? Timothy, if you study enough, maybe someday you'll get to preach a camp meeting. No. He said, study. To show yourself approved. This line right here, I love it. I have used. I've let this work on my heart for a long time, Sister Jenny. A workman that doesn't have to be ashamed. What? Oh, I'm not ashamed of him. No, no, no. That's not the question. The question of consequence in this chapter is not about whether or not you're ashamed of him. The question is, is he ashamed of you? You don't have to be ashamed because you've got the word in your soul. you got the word in your spirit. And you don't have to spend 14 minutes fumbling and looking. Oh, God. What time is it? It feels like it's 845. Mm. Listen, stay with me. Just because you say it faster and you say it louder and you say it more witty... It doesn't mean that you're convincing anybody. Woo. Can, can, can I be so bold as to tell you that when pulpits are filled with gospelish, Spanglish, gospelish, and then people don't respond, we just say, well, they heard the word, but they didn't respond. Yeah. To what? What What was there to respond to? When we get up and say, Jesus wants you to be happy. Woo-hoo! So if you hate your wife, just dump her sorry hide and go get you one that makes you happy because she'll never understand you. Woo! My God, they'll flock in by the thousands. If I'm lying, I'm dying. How how about somebody like The great apostle Paul. That will look down his old crooked nose and say. What have I become your enemy now because I told you the truth. I'm going to go somewhere else that will use me. Okay. Go get used. But remember. There is a thing in the scripture called impartation. Man my papa used to wear me. He. Son, I don't think everybody ought to be laying hands on folks in the altar. Tell me, I'd, I'd get him cranked up. Yeah, tell me about it, Papa. Like, what's it going to hurt? Well, he, whatever they got, they're imparting. They're walking around laying hands on people, laying it on their head. Whatever they got, they're imparting it. Oh, yeah, Really? Yes, absolutely. Acts 3, silver and gold, have I none, but such as I have. Boy, I've had that conversation. Son, they had something. Such as I have, give I thee. Whatever you got, you're imparting. Hey, that's kind of preaching that'll help somebody right there, whether we like it or not. There's a reason why we've got to be approved. Right? Study, study, study to show yourself approved. Well, I'm one of the wittiest among them. Just because you're the quickest gun in the West doesn't mean you're going, you're going to impress people with the way that you can say things. There's got to be substance to what we're saying. God, I don't want to breed confusion in here, okay? I don't want to breed confusion in here. But I'm going to tell you something. When you've been raised all your life around false doctrine... It starts messing with you when you read Genesis 1.26. Well, there it is right there, pastor. Let us make man in our image after our likeness. There it is, see? What's the context? You, you got to know the word of God. Stop dancing around scriptures. Am I helping anybody? Stop dancing around scriptures that have father-son language because you're scared you're going to have to explain it. Man, I love preaching in this church. There's so much hunger in here tonight. We have got to stop allowing the enemy to mess with. Listen, if there's something in the word that does not make sense to you, then study to show yourself approved as a workman that does not have to be ashamed. not convincing people because we're witty. This is exactly how people compromise the message. Listen, you've heard me say it a thousand times in this pulpit. But you are not going to die for a gospel that you won't even live for. Boy, I want to say that again. I want everybody to focus and listen what I'm t- what I'm telling you right now. Hear, hear me. I don't care what, what your eschatology is. I don't care if you're pre, mid, post-trip. I don't care where you are, where you stand on that. I'm telling you right now, if you won't live this gospel, you won't die for this gospel. Do you know why? Do you know why right now? Why churches are closing their doors literally by the thousands in the United States of America, but apostolic churches are growing? Because men have preached things in pulpits for centuries that they don't even know whether or not they believe it. it. Barna group. I don't know if you ever read any of Barna's stuff. I'm not saying they're the, the like number one uh Survey group, but Barna group, I heard numbers the other day that blew my mind. A large percentage of denominal preachers that weren't even sure if Jesus was actually a real man or if he's just the central figure of the Bible story and they're filling pulpits, and here's the rest of it. They're teaching in Bible colleges and seminaries around the world that the resurrection did not exist, and that Jesus is just a figment of imagination, and they're raising up another generation. Listen to what I'm telling you. Peter and Paul and James and Andrew, they did not die because they thought Jesus was cool. They died because they believed he was the way, the truth, and the life. And no man comes to the Father but by him. History records, it's not in the Bible, but history records that Peter believed it so strongly. They claim in historical record that he was crucified on a cross like Jesus, but he believed in it so much in the power of our resurrected Savior. He said, I don't even deserve to die like he did. He said, if you're going to crucify me on a cross, turn me upside down and let me die that way. I don't even deserve to die like he did. We will not die for a message that we will not live for. God have mercy everybody doing all right I'm having a good time tonight listen it's gonna take more than your testimony to convert people I thank God Almighty for my testimony and I thank God Almighty for your testimony Revelation 12 and 11 John said these man they overcame the accuser of the brethren how'd they do it brother lamb worth the testimony thank God your testimony helped you overcome But the gospel is what saves. Man, I heard this guy give a testimony and I gave my life to the Lord. What's that mean? Were you converted that your sins were blotted out? Or did you just make a profession with your mouth and say, I believe on Jesus? Because James has got a strong record on that, Brother Caleb. James said that the devils believe there's one God. And they tremble. He said, if you believe in one God, thou doest well. The devils also believe and tremble. Isn't that something that the devil himself is a one God believer? That's why he wants people to get away from the one God message. Because he was the cherub that covereth. He was in the heavens. He was around the throne. He protected the glory. Even Lucifer knows. There's not three thrones. Man, I love this book from Genesis. I'm so glad that when I talk about the Elohim that created Barah in, uh, in, he- in uh, Genesis chapter 1, when we speak of Elohim that created, I'm talking about the same one that Colossians 1 says, He is the image of the invisible God. It was the invisible God that's creating in Genesis 1, and it's the image of that invisible God through whom we have redemption, and we are complete in Him. On, Woo! I'm almost done. It's 8.15. What time do I start, you know? Somebody in here does, Does, I promise you. (laughs) Thank God for your testimony. But your testimony is not going to save. It's going to help you overcome. Share your testimony. But when you share your testimony... They need to know what caused your testimony. It wasn't your testimony that made you testify. It was the gospel that gave you a testimony. And you cannot be ashamed of the gospel of Christ. For it is the power of God. Unto salvation. Well, the, go- the gospel, pastor. What, what the gospel? Yeah, the gospel. Though we are an angel. Galatians 1 and 8. There's only one gospel. Though we are an angel from heaven preach any other gospel unto you than that which we have preached unto you, let him be accursed. As we said before, so say I now again, if any man preach any other gospel unto you than that which ye have received. This is not Pentecostal rhetoric. What did I read to you tonight? When we opened up this lesson, they were teaching Jesus from the law and the prophets. They said, if you're teaching any other Jesus, then the one that we've taught you, what you've heard of us, even if it's an angel, why'd they use that language? Because they weren't afraid of the supernatural, number one, and number two, they understood Old Testament theology, and they understand Genesis 6 and whatever else you want to read, that there are fallen angels. And there are angels of light that work in the earth, and they're trying to manipulate people's hearts to stop them from believing If angels were working trying to keep men's hearts failing them in Genesis 6, they're still working today trying to get people's heart to fail them. They don't care how they do it. Jesus said, Simon, Satan hath desired to sift you as wheat, but I have prayed for you that your faith... He said, don't let your faith fail you. I don't care who preaches it. If it's any other gospel than that which we have preached unto you, let him be cursed." Well, 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 what is it? Jude uh, 1, Jude, uh, Jude 1, 3 through 4. Beloved, when I gave all diligence to write unto you the common salvation, it was needful for me to write unto you and exhort you that you should earnestly contend for the faith that was. Come on, y'all preach good. I'm almost done. The faith that was. What? This is why I preach against new revelation in the 21st century. Jude said contend for what was once delivered. Folks, listen to me. I read extra biblical stuff. I read uh, outside the canon. I've studied. I've researched. When it comes to doctrine, we have 66 books for a reason. And if you can't buy in that that's infallible and it's the word of God, listen, we're not going to stand before the Lord for what we don't have. We can only stand before the Lord for what we do have. Yeah, but I looked on Google and Google said, well, Google's full of baloney. You just what every week now, every stinking week, they're changing definitions on there. Every week. Yeah. And don't you think for one second they won't change doctrine? Yeah. I was sitting with a man uh, one day in, in, uh, in my office. We were having Bible study. I said, hey, do me a favor real quick. I said, pull your phone out. Pull your phone out right now. Just go to Google, push the talk button, and just say this. When did the baptismal formula change? Anybody ever tried it? don't do it right now pick it up and read it you want to know why we're baptized in Jesus name pick it up and read it it'll tell you exactly when it changed and what page of the Catholic encyclopedia it's on that all the early church was baptized in the name of Jesus Christ for remission of their sins but in the third century they begin to baptize in the titles of the Father, Son, and Holy Ghost. Listen, I want to baptize the way they did in the book of Acts. I find it interesting that none of the apostles ever saw the Apostles' Creed. we got to learn to speak the language of the kingdom. How do you do it? There's only one way. Brother Lang, has got more degrees than a thermometer. He speaks more language. I, I'm not kidding. I was with him in Israel. And the first night we stayed, I, I got to hurry. We were in Tel Aviv. And uh, right up the street, I hope I'm embarrassing you. I know I'm not. Because you're, you're a very proud man. I'm just playing. <laughs> it's one of the most humble men I know. We are right up the street from a Russian bakery. They're Jewish people that own the Russian bakery in Tel Aviv. So Lang leaves, we walk in this bakery together, and I'm like, um, baklava, because I'm, I'm fluent, right? He starts talking to these Jewish people in, in Russian, starts speaking Russian, I'm like, oh my God. We get into Jerusalem, he starts talking Hebrew to these people. Then we walk up to, to these Palestinian people where we're staying in East Jerusalem. He starts talking Arabic to them. I'm like, Dear God, you're a dangerous man. <laughs> we're standing at the Jordan River, and, and, and this whole group of, uh, of, of uh, Eastern Indian folks came walking up. What'd they speak? Tamil. They de- de- spoke Tamil. Big dummy. He walks up to these people speaking Tamil. He's like, yada da ga, ga, ga da, ba, da, 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 da. And they're like. They're like, short, white man. You're speaking. They're like, why you redhead? Why you redhead speaking for me? I don't know. You know how you do it? It's called Immersion. You know how you know how that little short white guy speaks Tamil because he lived in India. He lived there. Do you know how people speak speak the biblical kingdom language because they live in it every day of their life? They're in the kingdom. They're in the Word. They're listening to the Word. They're listening to preaching. They're singing the songs of Zion. They got the Bible open. It's talking to them. when they get up. It's on their mind. Listen, the Lord tried to get Moses to teach our children that way. When they get up, when they lay down, when they go about their way, there's a kingdom language. Hear, O Israel, the Lord our God is one Lord. Son, love the Lord with all your heart, your soul, your mind. I got some friends that are uh, missionaries in Central America. And they're originally from Canada. And I mean... I don't speak Canadian. But I got to be real careful because my mother-in-law watches a lot. And I don't want her going out in a boat and whooping on me. Love you, Mom. These people from Central America, Dad, they're, they're, they're Canadian, but they're in, in uh Guatemala. We were talking in the office at a missions conference in Louisiana one night, and I said, bro, how long? They've been there like 30, it's almost 40 years now. I said, how long did it take you immersing yourself in in Guatemala before, like, you knew? Like, you're not trying to think the English word is this, so the Spanish word is this. How how long did it take you? And he said, you know, man, he said, after a while, we just immersed ourselves. He said, but I knew. I knew that I was finally fluent in Spanish when I started dreaming in Spanish. He said, I started dreaming. My dreams were in Spanish. And he said, I, I didn't have to interpret anymore what I was dreaming. He said, because it became such a part of my mind. I, it was as, as though it was my native language. I I began to think it and dream it. And when I would hear somebody speak to me in Spanish, I didn't have to say, oh, that, that's this, this, this. He said, they just spoke and I spoke back. It, it, it began to flow from me in my subconscious. And I'm thinking, your young men shall see visions. Your old men shall dream dreams. How's that happen? Because there's a kingdom culture that you immerse yourself in. That you don't, you, you, don't, you don't have to worry when somebody says, man, that junk ain't necessary. You guys do. Oh, but it is. Because I've immersed myself in a kingdom culture. It is not about what I have to do. It's about this kingdom that I live in. There comes a point when you're no longer trying to search for the English equivalent. And you just speak the language. There comes a time where you're no longer trying to draw a parallel to this present world. And you just speak the language. Oh my, my. It doesn't matter what people say. You just have this language that said, "Yes, yeah, one man, one woman. Sorry. Yes, right, right. It was Adam and Eve, not Adam and Steve. Right. And you speak the language. Well, that offends me. I love you. I'm not going to fuss with you. Because you can fuss with somebody over the law of gravity, but let them jump off the Grand Canyon and see what happens. Somebody say it's a law. law. There's a kingdom law. And it is what it is. Luke 8 and 10, with this I close. I'm not anywhere close to getting where I wanted to go. I don't think you really ever finish the sermon. Luke 8 and 10. He said unto you is given to know the mysteries of the kingdom of God. But to others, y'all this is so powerful. I could preach this whole thing from this verse. But to others in parables, that seeing, are y'all reading that? They might not see and hearing they might not understand. He's talking to the people that were immersed with him for three and a half years. He said, when I speak, there are things that you understand because I have immersed you. He said, they are veiled to other people. If this truth be hidden, it's hidden to them that are lost. There are things that are veiled to other people that I speak in parables, but because you have immersed yourself in a kingdom culture everywhere we go, he said you understand things. And the Bible tells us on the road to Emmaus after Jesus' resurrection, i got to hurry, that they were walking with Jesus, didn't even recognize him. And the Bible said, then opened he. God, I feel the Holy Ghost when I say that. Then opened he their understanding. And they began to understand the Scriptures. And they said to him, You know, there was something about your testimony that burned in our hearts. But when you opened our understanding, we receive revelation. Your testimony may cause people's hearts to burn, but the gospel will turn their heart from sin to salvation. I still believe in this gospel message. Death, burial, resurrection. I still believe without the shedding of blood. There can be no remission of sin. I still believe that it's symbolic in the Old Testament. I believe it's all type and shadow. I believe you walk out of Egypt, you pass through the water of the Red Sea, and you get under the cloud of the Holy Ghost. Hebrews verifies this. I believe it's still death, burial, resurrection. I still believe it's repentance, baptism in Jesus' name, and the infilling of the Holy Ghost. I believe it from Genesis to Revelation. That is the gospel. Let's stand together. Somebody just let out a big sigh and say, whoa, he's done. I want to help you understand that we're not going to go to heaven guessing around on scripture. We're going to go because we have immersed ourselves in the kingdom. And this word has been written on our hearts that we might not sin against God. How many of you would be alright with you if the Lord, as David requested of him, he would just make this word like concrete in you. He said, inscribe it. Lord, rabba Ba, Inscribe your words in the walls of my heart, God. Inscribe your word in the walls of my mind. Let me speak the gospel language fluently, Lord. Let me speak salvation fluently. Let me speak love for God and love for my neighbor fluently. Let me immerse myself in the language of the kingdom. Oh, great God, great God, great God, great God, great God. Hallelujah, hallelujah, hallelujah.